Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any host or guest individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Good evening. Thank you for joining the Ask Stephanie Show on the Coffee Clutch Network. Tonight, we have Rosalind Wiseman with us. Rosalind is an internationally renowned expert on children, parenting, bullying, and is the best-selling author of Queen Bees and Wannabes, which is the basis of the hit film Mean Girls. After much success with her book, Rosalind decided that there was an equally important and vulnerable group she needed to tackle, especially since she herself is the mom of two boys. So she went on to write Masterminds and Wingmen, a must-must-read for any parent or anyone with boys in their life. As you know, I'm a mom of three kids, and I have a girl and two boys, so this book was especially interesting to me. I, I loved reading it. And so I welcome to the show, Rosalind. Nice to have you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited that you're here tonight. I really am. As we were just speaking a little bit before the show, I heard Rosalind speak I guess it was many years ago um, at an event, and the event was on for listening about the Queen Bees and Wannabes book, and I, you were just phenomenal. Some of the things you said really stuck out of my head, and as we were saying, it was a really long time ago, and I just, you know when you just file people away and you say, I'm going to know her one day, <laughs> you know, she's going to, just, you just were someone that you made a really, a big impact on me, and some of the things that, I, I remember you were saying something, just you were talking about cell phones at the time and sweatshirts and having kids like bar mitzvah sweatshirts. There were just so many little things that stuck oh, in my right. head that you had such oh, smart, wow. smart parenting advice. And so uh, you've been on my mind to have on the show. So I'm so happy you're here. Um, well, so as a mom of, of two boys and a girl, um, and, and really just what struck me about this book, which was so great, is I come from a family where my mom has a sister and her mother had a sister and she had two girls and now I have these boys. And as my mom often says, and she, she's just on her way back to Florida and she was so excited to listen to this interview because as she always says, oh, boys are so different. You girls didn't know oh. that. <laughs> you go, mm-hmm. and, and you know she is this. Her grandsons are like her life, her loves, but she's really just—it's like totally just a different world for her. And and it's just so interesting for me, being I didn't have a, a brother growing up, but I know no different. I have boys, and I'm in the boy world. But it's so interesting to get that perspective from so many people, and she's definitely one of them that will say like. 
boys are so different. You know, they they never made a mess. You know, you girls never made a mess. Mm-hmm. You didn't. You we we brought yeah. you here and you brought you to a restaurant. He never talked. And your boy, you know, and, and I, my my boys are boys. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I thought this book was. So great. And she, she read, read it cover to cover. She's, uh, you know, just oh, she loved did. it. I'm so glad. Oh, she uh-huh. loved it. And, you know, I just, it, so generationally I thought, what a great book because it's for parents, it's for grandparents, it's for teachers, which I'd love to give to a, a bunch of teachers I know. Um, I just, I, I thought it was a fabulous thing to tackle because, because of that. So what can you tell us, I mean, really importantly, why you decided that this book was important? Mm. Well, you know, it wasn't actually because I'm a mom of two boys. It really was about that I had been teaching boys for a long time. And just like I felt all those years ago when I, was, when I wrote Queen Beats and Wannabes, I felt like there was this unspoken dynamic that was going on and that we needed to put words to it so that we could help our kids more. And, um, I mean, it took me a while because even though I've been teaching teenagers and kids, um, like, you know, third grade through, through 18 years old, I've been teaching for a long time, for about 20 years. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, you know, it really took me a while to get the, the confidence that I could be able to do a good enough job that I felt that parents and teachers, people who care about boys, deserved. Um, it also depended on me being able to get boys to help me because I did not, think and I do not think that I have the right to be able to speak about boys without getting boys to help me. So this really was a collaboration and a partnership between me and a lot of different boys over a period of two years who helped Which I'm me. sure was not easy to get them to open up and share. Uh, it was, you know, it was and it wasn't because, you know, when I first started, when I would go to a group, I mean, there's, there's some easy things you can say to a group of boys where they will start talking immediately. And that is, what are the things that your parents do that frustrate you? And um, what do girls do to you that you think is unfair and crazy? And you can get boys to talk very fast. <laughs> right. when you ask them those two questions. It's almost unfair. It's because right. they you're, you're feeding you like, into them. <laughs> right, exactly. They look at you and they're like, thank God someone's asking me this question, right? And so... You know, so I actually, and, um, you know, we did these interviews with the boys after the book was done, and some of the boys said, and I had forgotten this, they said, you know, we couldn't stop talking. Like, we couldn't stop. She would be saying, yes, I have to go, I have to catch a plane, I have to go talk to another group of kids, and we just would not let her out of the room. And I would forgotten about that. And um, I think the point is, is that boys very rarely have an adult in their life who, I mean, think about it, I am, you know, when they first when they first were working with me, they said it was very strange because I was a mom, and like moms, like you don't talk to moms, right? Like that's right, right. <laughs> and I didn't talk about I didn't talk about my own children, but they knew that I was a mother. Um, but we talked, so you know, I wasn't there to get them in trouble. I was there to listen to them and to debate them. And I'm very straightforward with kids. I always have been. Um, and we got into some very, you know, arguments, debates. But really it was what me saying to them, what you are going through is important and people do not see it. And if we do this together, then we can have the people in your life maybe understand what's going on with you in a way that makes you feel more comfortable, that you don't have to just, you don't have to sit down and like say all of these things that are so personal to you that you've, you can, you not only can help the people in your life understand you better, and this is also a huge motivation for the boys, but you can help other boys' lives be better. 
And that was a huge motivation for them, that they kept saying to me over and over again, I've gone through really hard times, and to be able to work on something so that maybe another boy is not going to go through what I went through, I'm going to do this. And many of the boys, like a couple weeks ago, I had an article in Time Magazine come out, and many people were shocked that I could get the boys to talk about things that they don't look perfect by far. They, they're messy. They've made mistakes. They do things right. that are not great, right? And the boys just get out there and they say, no, this is important. People need to understand what our lives are like, not assume what our lives are like. I think you really were just giving them a voice, which I think anybody and everybody wants. Which is ironic, right? Because if you think about it, we often think that girls are the people without a voice and that we have to spend all this time. And I certainly have spent a lot of time. And I have dedicated my life to being able to give girls a voice and to teach right. them to, that they have the right to a voice, an authentic voice. Um, but what we've forgotten is that there are these boys here who can fake it really, really well. Um, as far as, like, being confident and, you know, they say, I'm good, don't worry about it, Mom, like, I don't want to talk about it. They're really, really, really good at putting up walls for us. In the meantime, they actually have very complicated lives, and we contribute to the problem because we consistently say girls are, you know, girls are so hard, boys are easy, you know, they get, boys get into fights, then it's over. That's not the way this goes. It's much more complicated than what we often, you know, assume about boys and that we say to boys to their face. Right, right. Well, so that brings me to just like boys in general and I think what what many parents feel about boys because I know some parents feel like they can connect with their their kids and sometimes parents don't feel that they can connect with their kids and there's sometimes this feeling of boys are quiet and evasive and it's hard to communicate with them and I know you talk a lot in your book about like most common mm-hmm questions that like parents have every day which is and I'm sure me and everyone else is definitely has been guilty of it I I do not have the quiet boys I have to Mm -hmm. talk and tell everything but there are so many that do so as parents are listening right now how many Mm -hmm. of us are guilty of the how was your day what did you Mm -hmm. do what what did Mm -hmm. you get did you get into trouble what grades did you get you know or if you're at a sports game and you're picking up from the did you score any goals? Did you get any baskets? Yep. Did the team win? And the, right. Had you play? And the kids, he's squirming in his seat. He wants to punch all through the wall. He's so mm-hmm. frustrated. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. where are we as parents going wrong, and what is, like, just a better technique? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, people like me and, and me, I, you know, I've been saying to parents forever and, and a lot of expert people have been saying, you know, when you get your kid in the car, ask them all sorts of questions because it exhibits, you know, it shows that you've got, you know, you're interested in their lives. But we don't realize that the way this comes across to the boys is an interrogation and that every single one of those questions, like how was your day? Well, how, just like a girl, how can a boy go through the, tremendous amounts of various things that happen during the day. And he and any kid, no matter how, how fabulous the school is, any kid walks around basically with, like, armor so that he can get through his school day. And when he, when he sees you or when at the end of the day, he needs to decompress and relax and take the armor off. It's like when we come back from work, the last thing, the last thing that we want anybody to do is, in our family is to see us. And the first thing off the bat, as soon as they see us, is, so how was your day? Did you answer all of your emails? Did you do that thing you've been procrastinating about forever? Well, how did your report go? Did you fail? I mean, if we see it from the boy's perspective, it makes complete sense. 
Yeah, so I, you know, in any of the questions that we ask, like, how did you play, it seems so innocuous. I mean, it's like, you, you know, you're asking, how did you play in the game? Well, but for a boy, maybe he felt, like, humiliated. Maybe he, mm-hmm. maybe he didn't do something the right way, and, and somebody just told, like, another player just totally said something nasty to him, and then it got him totally unnerved, and then he couldn't handle it, and then and nobody else could see it, but the kid was going after him, and then the coach, you know, the ref didn't see it. I mean, all of these things happen, and how is your son supposed to, see, to say that to you? So I think it's really important to be able to get your kid in the car and say, you know, like, just relax. Like, you know, when I get my kids into the car now, and this is after the boys, the editors have told me this, when I see my boys at the end of the day, I have changed what I do. When they get into the car after a game, because they both play a lot of sports, I don't Mm -hmm. say anything. I let them tune out. I let them relax. I let them decompress. And if I need to talk to them... I do it at the end of the day, like when they're going to sleep, and I sit at the end of their bed, and I turn off the light so that they don't see my face because, you know, our kids, like, really react to, like, our eyebrows moving. And mm-hmm. I say, you know, hey, like, how did it go? Like, is there anything you want to talk about? But, like, with no expectation, like, no, like, and now we're going to have this intense hallmark moment. It's, I just, you know, want to check in. I want, to, I want you to know that I care, I see, I acknowledge, and I'm here if you want to talk about it. If not, I love you. I'll see you in the morning. And I, that is the best, best, best advice. But let's say you are, and I'm loving this show right now, um, the Goldbergs. <laughs> and so let's oh, say sure. you're a mom. Have you, do you watch it? A little bit. I've seen one show, yeah. So let's say you're like a Beverly Goldberg, and you are uh-huh. one of those moms that cannot control herself. And sh- it, it's just like any advice for those moms, because they, it is just, you know, the advice is fantastic, and you re- they right. want to do what you're saying, but you're Beverly right. Goldberg. You can't do it. Right. What do well, you do? I mean, yeah, I know. I mean, here's the deal. It's like, I mean, a couple things. One is I think that, you know, it's funny because we tend to give ourselves sometimes a little slack when we don't give our kids slack. So, you know, saying, well, I can't help myself. Like, I care about you, and I just want to know. Well, I mean, I really think that for the Beverly Goldbergs out there, that you've really got to sit and think to yourself, like, sit quietly. Like, the kids, after the kids go to school, get yourself a cup of coffee, sit down and say to yourself, okay, I want a good relationship with my child, right? Like, and that is the bottom line, is that the motivation is you want a good relationship with your child. And by you constant, and there has to be some acknowledgement, or, or maybe there isn't, and you just have to deal with that, is that... If there is constant, constant questioning and not listening to what the child needs, you drive the child away from you. He might still love you, but if you want a good relationship with your child, then you've got to be able to take a moment and be an adult and modify your behavior. Right. And the other part is, is that if you can't, mod- if you refuse to modify your behavior, right? If you say, well, that's just the way I am. Like I love you, and I'm going to ask you all these questions. Well, I pretty much got to put it back on to the parent to say, well, when your kid says to you, well, this is just the way I am, whatever it is, mm-hmm. not doing my homework, not cleaning my room, not following through on things, not whatever. You, you know, if you, why are you allowing yourself the excuse that you will not allow your own child to do? I mean, I, I just, you got you to gotta look in the mirror and say. No, it's fantastic an advice, and I hope people are listening because I think oh, sometimes parents, it, right, it, the right. line is blurred right. with they want to say, I'm a better parent if I'm asking you know, more questions. But that's really right. not the because case, giving that space. Right. And that's like we've heard that from people. And, you know, and I, I really, I just think what's funny is it's a really good example of the fact that we haven't actually asked the kids to weigh in on this. And when you ask right. young people, right, and you ask the boys what they need, they will say to you, and this is subsequently to Masterminds of Women has been out for about three months, and the, the comment I have gotten from moms and dads 
is when they take the advice of not barraging their child with questions as soon as they see them, is that, I mean, I've got so many of these emails that say my kid at first was completely shocked and couldn't figure out what was going on, but then started talking to me more than he's ever talked to me in wow. the last three or four years. I believe so it. So I've got a lot of that. I've gotten a lot of that, especially from dads, right? We tend to think that this is moms who are constantly doing this, but dads can be just as guilty of this too. And oh, I've gotten absolutely. a lot of feedback from, from dads about this. Oh, I, I, I absolutely, you know, and I, I'm always careful to say that it's not just moms, but it's dads who sometimes, also I think that there's sometimes dads, and it's it's the question I wanted to get to, but I think it's a good time to talk about it, is there are dads that struggle with the fact that they can't relate to their children. And I've written an article about it because I, I was just talking to someone about it the other day. There are dads that their kids are not athletic and the dad was mm. a captain of the football team and now yeah. you have this dad who just doesn't know what to say to their kid because they all they know is what they used to talk to their dads about which is their, mm. their game or mm. you know, football mm-hmm. basketball whatever it is mm-hmm. or who's playing mm-hmm. tonight now you have this mm-hmm. kid who is not like you or not who you wanted for a son mm-hmm. and yeah, now sure. what do you do so what sure. do you say to those dads about their boys or their mo- or well, moms? But I, I find mean, same-sex yeah, parents sure. struggle with that more. Sure. I mean, you know, I have a little – we had some of that in my, in my family with, um, with football, actually, because my husband was adamantly opposed to my son playing football and for, for concussion reasons, but also it was because um, he grew up in Southern California and has very negative, very negative, viscerally <laughs> negative experiences of dealing with football guys when he was in high school. Mm-hmm. And um, he was just dead set against it. And um, I, my son really wanted to play. And we had him do all this, like, we had him do this persuasion essay on it, like explaining about the concussion things and, like, what he needed to do, all this stuff. But I think what's most important is, is if it's, more, if it's important to the child, then, and it could be opposite, right? Like, it could be that the kid's, like, super into comics, and the guy is like, oh, right. I hate this, this is stupid, I don't get it. Like, I don't get it. But there's a different way of saying, I don't get it. I don't get it means, like, I don't get it, I don't accept it, or I don't get it, I'd like to know more. It's important to you, I will, I will participate, I will be present. And if what that means, for example, in our family was that it was important for, and I wasn't so into the whole football thing either, um, was that we went to the, some of the games. And now I think football, and maybe people are going to get mad at me about this, but I think that they're going to an entire football game because it's like three hours long. <laughs> ridiculous. So I, I go, believe like, I, I, I'm, I'm the girliest ridiculous. mom ever, and I have two boys, and I'm always like, ridiculous. what quarter is <laughs> So I get it. Well, no, right. no. My thing is like I got too many things to do. Like I am not. No, totally. Parents. I know there are parents. There are too many. There are a lot of parents who I, I really like a lot. Like there are you know kids, like parents who are friends of mine, who will go to every single minute of the game. I need to go to the grocery store. Like I right. am not going to sit there the entire time. So I knew I liked you. Present. I knew I liked you. <laughs> <laughs> now I like you more. Right. Okay. okay. Good. Right. So. so being- <laughs> Present at the game, being present, being present, for example, like at the, you know, asking him about it, um, you know, but asking him about it like in a strategic way, the way I'm talking about, you know, the, like my, my son did this thing because he was so into it and this was so embarrassing to me where, you know, he put the black liner that people put under their eyes. Yeah. 
he tends to do things a little bigger than usual. And so he put the black stuff, like, you know, in these kinds of geometric patterns all over his face. And he's six <laughs> feet two and he's 12 years old. I mean, the whole thing was just totally embarrassing to me. And I, I really was. It was embarrassing. And But at the same time, I had to, like, all right, man, that's awesome. Like, good job with the face paint. Awesome. Now, and, and now, like, what it's right, I, because he was trying, he's going overboard. That's okay. But now, what if you're the yeah. dad, though, of the boy who, wants to take a dance class or an art class or sure. whatever. Well, I mean, and the deal. If you, no, this is a big deal because if you, I have plenty of, you know, I, a couple of things. One is you, it, it is your son. One of the things I'm absolutely clear, a hundred percent clear on is that boys are really looking at our reactions to things and that if we approve or disapprove and it means mm-hmm. a lot to them. So when your son wants to do something that you think is far afield, um, and your reaction to it is like, why would you want to do that? Or whatever, whatever that is, it is a real sense of not being accepted for who you are and what you care about, what you love, what you're interested in, what you're curious about. And that's actually really, that can be extremely problematic because you don't want your child feeling ashamed for the things that Absolutely. they love to do and that they love to exp- how they like to express themselves. Um, you know, uh, and just sort of rising good. above it and finding common ground to say, oh, yeah, exactly. this is my child, this is who they are, may not be what I, and I always say, like, it's not like you're born and you, you'd get a checklist and you're like, okay, these are all the ten things that, these are the qualities that my child is going to have. It's just, you get what right. you get and you make the most and best of it and you just sort of have to find things. So if it's not that, if, if sports isn't common or if dance is I mean, find something right. Whatever it is, go to a show, go to the movies. Like you have to exactly. find some commonality where you can bond because I think that bonding with your child is is just so important. Well, I think I think from what the boys have said to me is that it's about the bonding comes as a result of feeling accepted for what the boy is interested in, mm-hmm. and um, and and that, so the bonding is a consequence. It's a result of you know, of the things of the relationship, the interaction that goes on between the parent and the son. Um, I was so struck by the boys. I mean, you know, people have asked me a lot since publishing these books about boys that, you know, what was one of the most surprising things to you? And I, there are a lot of surprising things to me about this, but, um, but one of them definitely was how much the boys are so good at pretending that they're not, that they're not watching our reactions to things, but they are so, so watching if we approve or disapprove, and then they react mm-hmm. so strongly to that, but you never know it because they're not showing it. They're not. They're not freaking out. Do they out say why they're really me. good at that? Like, I'm wondering why. Do they give an, an why are boys it, so good at hiding? Is it just like stuff? they're so in, like they just don't want to deal, so they just know how to hide it? Um, well, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why. I mean, you know, there's a lot of, you know, what I say to boys that I work with. Um, is that, you know, of course you're getting, you know, we tend to do a lot of stuff with girls about media and about the media images that they get mm-hmm. about, like, being hypersexualized and that they yeah. should be very friendly and sort of cooperative and always have, like, a smile on their face and never disagree with people, those kinds of things. But we really do not focus as much as we should on the impact of media on boys and the images that boys get. And so the images of boys being stoic, strong, um, never needing help, all of those things, which are so counterproductive to being a functioning human being. Um, But, you know, I tend to believe that 
media alone does not get a kid to be, you know, to be really quiet in their misery. I think that there, there's a combination of the, of the media, which is incredibly powerful, obviously, but then also around them with the people in their lives, there's mm-hmm. so much messaging that we give um, to our boys to, and there's nothing wrong with like get up, you know, like get, you know, if you've been hurt or you're get, get down on the ground, you've had a failure, or your, your face is in the dirt, you know, get up, of course, like get up, shake it off, keep going is a great message. But at the same time with boys, the message we don't usually give them is, so get up, but yeah, that really sucks, right? Or that right. was really terrible, and wow, that really hurts, and wow, I'm really sorry, right? We only tend to give them the message of get up, you can take this, right? We don't give them the latter message. And let me tell you, you know, I've got two boys, right? And they, I, I struggle, I struggle exactly the same way that every parent does who has boys, that most parents do that have boys, about them not talking to me. And right. them saying, I don't want to talk about it. So I'm exactly, and I would like to think that I did not give them those messages of like, no, you're a boy, you can't speak. You know, my husband and I were pretty, were pretty adamant about that. And still we have this, we have very, we do have really, you know, significant challenges to get our boys to come talk to us. Is there a certain age that you notice that boys sort of turn off? Like what is the the age where oh, parents yeah, are like, nine. oh, it happened, nine. you know, nine. That, Nine. I'm, I'm nine. Nine. Okay. <laughs> I mean, That's it. You're like, it's nine. There's, uh, there's, well, I mean, I think that it, re- it can. Obviously, you know, there are kids who talk to, um, boys talk to their parents. I think it's some, in some ways it has a lot to do with um, the their sexual maturity and their, like they're going through puberty, that kind of stuff. Um, I think that if you as a parent have said, to your child, if you if the child's growing up in, in a family where they can't express their opinion because if they express their opinion, then that's back talking. Like any kind mm-hmm. of expression of opinion counter an adult is considered back talking. Then the child's never going to come talk to a parent. Why would they? They're going to get slammed for it. Um, right. On the other side, if the child has dominating opinions over the parent, then I also think they're not. That's also not going to work because they're not literally going to be able to hear someone else's sort of right to have a part in the conversation so or their right to have an opinion. So both ex, both extremes are really, really problematic. And we saw this, and I see this with boys a lot, um, both extremes, um, that they the result is, um, can be, is really not only problematic for the boys, but problematic for the people that have to deal with those boys. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think it's important for parents to even just know that there is this age, puberty kicks in, and it's natural and it's normal. Yeah. I think parents need to hear that. That it's, yeah, but it's you're not the only one. Know, parents just, need to know. Oh, sure. Sure. It's, it's, you're not, now, here's another question because there are families that have only boys and then there are families mm-hmm. that have only girls and then there are families that have boys and girls. Yeah. How much do you think that parents are comparing when they have boys and girls to say, you're not like your sister or you, your sister would never do this or she's so studious and look at you, you're yeah. you know, never able to sit down. Do you think it's harder for families or for boys that are in families like that because they're constantly being compared to their sisters? Um, I, you know, I think what I've seen is that the boys very much report that and I think that mm-hmm. the parents of those boys would never think of themselves as saying things like that that they don't intend to come across as comparing one right. child against the other. 
and that they never would think that they had said um, something that would put down their son in relation to their other children. Mm-hmm. But the boy very much feels that way. Um, the boys actually talk a lot about um, having older, having siblings who were b- different or better, um, and that what they were hearing from their parents is, you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. And um, that's really, you know, I, I, in those situations, I, what I feel is that the parent, you, you know, even if it's extremely different from what you think, that you need to sit down with your kid when you get information like that and say, mm-hmm. okay, I I get it, and I, I'm sorry that I did not see that I was coming across that way. And, um, you know, I'm going to really try and pay attention to the way that I'm speaking about you and your siblings. Um, and if there's some kind of, like, code word that you can say to me, if I, yeah. you know, sort of jump that. off, if I make a mistake, like, you know, like, you know, or like mom. And, you know, let's think about this because we have to be honest with ourselves that in that situation, if your kid says mom, lots of times our reaction to that is to fight them in that moment. Yes. But if we've had a, an, an agreement beforehand to say, okay, I'm going to be mindful of myself, then we need to respect that. And that will get a boy. One of the things that's been amazing to me working with boys is they can come from a place where they feel so misunderstood and so angry at their parents. But if they feel that the parent is reaching them and saying, okay, I get it. I get that I'm coming across in a way that is really annoying, irritating, counterproductive to you, and it's important to me to change this. So I'm really going to try hard. The boys, the way they move forward, toward, and they, it's like they want to have faith in us to do better. And that's been really hopeful to me. I, I, I think that's so important. And I, I, I do think that, I just think that, they're, like you said, being mindful and listening mm-hmm. to what they have to say is really important because sometimes we just don't even know what, as parents, like what we're doing. And it's yeah. important to get that feedback, even though it may not be something that you want to hear. And there is also that form of acceptance of saying, you know what, I have two kids and they're really different or three kids or four kids or whatever it is, and accepting kids for who they are is very important. There, there is a point where you say, like, I don't want to say that you're pigeonholing your kids into one way, but there has to be an acceptance where, okay, maybe, like, one of them isn't the most studious or the most athletic, but they're still a great kid. And I'm still proud yeah. of them for a, a, B, and C. And it may not be what their brother or sister is doing, but there always is many things that you can find in your kids that are great. And there is an acceptance that you have to, I think, that yeah, you have to come to absolutely. as a parent. And I also, I also think one of the hardest things as a mom I know is that we expect if we're going to talk to our kid that he's going to have an immediate reaction to it. And that's mm-hmm. actually, and I think girls will give us more of an immediate reaction. Right. And, um, and, I, I, and what's really something I've learned, and it happened to me yesterday, was that my younger son and I have been really, he's struggling. I'm not really even sure why. Like he's been not very nice to the people in the family it's been a real struggle. And so we were going out to the basketball, to a really, we, had, we were in traffic going to a basketball game yesterday. And I said to him, like, I'm really torn. I'm worried about you, and I want you to be able to talk to me about what's going on, but I also can't have you be rude to me. Like, I can't. Mm-hmm. You cannot be rude to me, and you, can, you have to do your responsibilities in the house. But I'm also, I'm really torn here. I don't know what to do. And I said, do you, or he wouldn't answer me. He wouldn't talk to me. And so I said, okay, I just need to under, I need to ask you a couple questions. So I I need to know if you're processing, if you're hearing like what I'm saying. So he basically, you know, he said, yes, yes, yes. 
Like we had four questions. I he said yes to them, and like I don't I don't know. And so the whole rest of the trip, in, the, in traffic to the basketball game, he said nothing. Mm-hmm. After on the way home, going home, he talked for like 20 minutes. We had like a good not. I didn't start it. We got into the car, and he starts talking for 20 minutes. I really believe that boys need to process what we are saying to them, think about it, mm-hmm. and then they will come to us later and talk, as long as we don't keep harping on them to answer the question. Harping is a great word because you're right. It's just that like saying, going back to even just what we were saying earlier in the show, which is that you just have to sort of give them a little time. You and it's hard to. as parents, you but you have them. to. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because you want the answer right now. You're like, do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> exactly. They need to process, right? They need, they actually need, and they're not being defiant, and they're not being disrespectful. They actually need to think about it and feel it because they're feeling things so deeply when you say that. But you can't see it because, you know, it's like I was yesterday in the car. I've got a kid who's, you know, he, you know, put the car, the seat back as far as he could, closed his eyes. I think he even took my coat and put the coat over his face. So that the entire mm-hmm. time I literally was like not not with somebody in the car, right? So <laughs> right. It's, which is really, for a parent, really it's so hard. Yeah, it's really absolutely hard. It's really really hard. Well, what exactly. about like get? I mean, talking about we're talking a lot about parents, and I just want I, I do want to get to just for I want to get to school for a little bit because mm, sure, just being a teacher, and there's so many articles out there, but just there are teachers <laughs> have. I noticed that, and I've read an article just recently where, like, they say that boys are set up for a disadvantage in a classroom from mm. the time that they go to kindergarten because mm. they can't sit as well, they can't listen as well, mm-hmm. they, it's mm-hmm. very difficult for them. And now there's just obviously so many more kids getting diagnosed with ADHD mm-hmm. and boys especially. Um, and mm-hmm. so it, it, parents of boys who are listening, who are being diagnosed with ADHD or not, or not yet diagnosed, but their kids are having, they're struggling, they're having a hard time focusing, they're having a hard time in school, they're having a hard mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. listening. And now they're getting these reports from these teachers who are overworked, very frustrated, mm-hmm. they're dealing with things like the common core where these boys mm-hmm. are now just so frustrated, they're frustrated teaching it. What... As parents, what do we do about that? What do we say to these teachers that are calling us? Because, I, I mean, I've had a few phone calls myself with teachers, and I find it infuriating when they just don't get it and just aren't, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, like maybe they're the moms of mm-hmm. daughters, or I don't know. But, you know, look, mm-hmm. boys are not as, it's not as easy for them sometimes to sit in a classroom mm-hmm. all day. So mm-hmm. what do you say to that? Sure. Well, I mean, geez, I think it's hard to sit in a classroom no matter what your gender, right, where you get talked at. Yeah, I mean, I don't think all classes are like that, but I certainly feel like we ask a lot of our children to sit still all day. Um, but I, for boys, I and mean, one of the things that was the most important for me about masterminds was to talk about those kids, the kids who can't sit still in their seats, who um, who have either been diagnosed with ADHD or have been um, diagnosed with something on the spectrum of, of autism or even that they just have low social skills and they are having a hard time reading the social cues of other kids because I was absolutely sure that, um, and I am sure, that those kids are disproportionately identified or they are disproportionately, they become the targets of bullying or they become the perpetrators and sometimes 
they become the manip- they're manipulated into being the perpetrators. And the problem is, and I do this with teachers, I mean, I do, majority of my work is going around the country and doing professional development training with teachers. And it's about this. It's about if you don't understand the power dynamics and the, that are, and the relationship dynamics that are going on in the classroom or with your group of kids, then you are, the, the truism of, in teaching is you always see the second hit. You never see the first hit. You never see the thing that started the problem. Oh, yes, they don't, right, that, exactly. They're seeing right. the reaction means, to what happened. They're seeing the reaction, which means that the, kids who's, the kid who is reacting is, it stands to reason, it's like common sense that that kid is worse at getting away with stuff than the kids right. who started it, right? And so then you get to a place of kids who can't control themselves as well. They're not as good at that. Um, I just as you know, if it's, I hope this makes people feel better. I mean, it certainly made me feel better. Is that um, for masterminds, I worked with the ch- children, Cincinnati Children's Hospital, to be able to come up with a sort of identifying list of how to understand these the kids who have low social skills and how they can get into trouble more easily as a perpetrator or as a target. And um, I went through, we, we worked together to be able to, to convey this to teachers because they get no training on this. And yet, they are, they are getting more and more, these kids are getting more and more mainstreamed into our school. So what has been amazing to me is that even for these like really hard, sometimes I have to work with some teachers who are pretty burnt out, and a lot of times the professional development's not so great, and they bring their homework and they, you know, sit in the back and try and read a newspaper. And I'm telling you, since I came up with this list and since Masterminds, I've done this work for Masterminds. I have presented this in my professional development with teachers, and over and over and over again, it just happened in Texas last week. I put this list up and I explain it to the to the teachers. So, oh my god, oh my oh my gosh! I wish somebody had said this to me. I had this is these I have I've always had these kids. And then I walk through with them how to be able to calm the kid down, to be able to be able to give them maybe some more um, ways of handling difficult social situations. And I've had teachers who identify who say come up to me afterwards and say. I'm a burnout teacher. I've gone to professional development for 35 years, and mm-hmm. you know, I just think, right? And they say, that is the most important thing for us to know. I didn't know this. I felt horrible that I didn't know it. And now that I do, I can do so much better for my kids. It is an incredible thing to watch. And it's because the teachers, it seems so obvious, I think, maybe as a family when you're dealing, struggling with these kinds of issues, but for teachers who don't, and I know this, it's like you can be so frustrated, like, oh, my gosh, how could they not see this? But they don't, and, or they don't know what to do about it. And so and it, it, it's, it's not a perfect answer, but the reaction I'm getting from teachers has been incredibly heartwarming. Um, Interesting. Feeling like this is something to do, that we can really do better about for, you know, for all of these kids. Because every child has the right to be at school and be treated with dignity and that every teacher has a responsibility obviously to do their best by every child and that's and sometimes teachers get to a place where you have these moments where you forget or it gets too hard in the moment but I have found that if we can get the right training for teachers that they stop that they really move forward and that they really want to do the best they can yeah I I love that and I do think that probably many teachers feel that they could use some training on that, but just they're so overworked and so busy that there's just not, maybe well, there's just not yeah. enough time. Well, I don't know that, what it is. Well, no, no. I'll, tell you, I'll, be, I'll, just, I'll say something really specific, which is, which, and why teachers get so frustrated. 
because one of the things that I was able to get an administrators to say on the record was that the most amount of training they've gotten for dealing with you know, if you, with these kind of kids um, is restraining holds. And, you know, for children who have high sensory issues or low sensory, right, low sensory dynamics, right, so they're not feeling stuff or maybe or they're feeling or they're on the other extreme. But that is the worst, worst training that you could get, that you could give a teacher or administrator. So when the teacher tries to do this, God forbid, or a administrator tries to do this because that's the only thing he's been trained on, then they've exacerbated the problem. The kid freaks out because right. of course the child freaks out. I mean, of course they would. And I and but what is amazing to me is, and then the teacher says, "Well, geez, this is what I was taught. It completely backfired. So I don't want to. Why would I try this again? Makes perfect sense, right? They're not. Sometimes we're not giving the teachers the training that they need." in a way that they can actually apply in their real life. And time and time again, for the vast majority of teachers, what I have experienced is we give them the kinds of training that they can apply, and they will immediately be incredibly grateful, and they will, start to, they, will start, they will adopt it and say, thank you so much, instead of saying, I'm so busy, I need to teach the task. All those things that we often talk about, teachers, when we give them good information, for the vast majority of them are going to work really hard because they care about kids so much. And you do believe it's important for parents to give that information to teachers and talk to them and give them information on their children so that teachers can help them by being better, more efficient teachers. Right. Oh, my gosh. And if you, you know, there's some, you know, I certainly have worked with schools that have not great teachers. If you as a parent go up, you know, set us at a time, like, you know, say to the parent, excuse me, say to the teacher, I need to meet with you about, like, what works best for my kid um, you know, there's some challenges that, you know, we've been working on, that when's a good time, you know, that here's when I'm available. And then you go and talk to them and say, you know, you, you know, depending on the child's age, of course, but, like, what is appropriate as far as giving them the information that you feel comfortable with, that the child feels comfortable with, because those are complicated dynamics, which I totally understand and respect. Um, but to be able to say to the teacher, this is, in general, what works well for my child. This is what does not work well for my child. If a teacher does not completely appreciate that and say, thank you so much for telling me and ask you questions mm-hmm. about that, and you don't get a real feeling of genuine care and curiosity, then you do have a problem on your hands. And you do yeah. need to, I mean, that really, that, that absolutely you do have a problem because most, most teachers are going to be very grateful. Right. No, I, I definitely agree. Um, I, I do want to get to the parenting segment because I, I love that you separate so and you give names for so many parents, i.e. Mm. the bear parent, the dictator parent, yeah. the pushover parent, boys will be boys parent, no privacy parent, don't ask, don't tell parent, the girlfriend, the bro dad, <laughs> and then right. the ultimate, the rock. So I wrote yeah. them all down because I loved them and I know a few of them. <laughs> so... I really would love you to just explain a little bit about it. And I, I think as, as I was reading, and I know people who will be reading this book or have read it, they must have internalized it to say, oh, I know that dad, or I, I, yeah. I know that mom, and yeah. why it doesn't work and why it does, um, and, and, yeah. why, and how parents um, can become the, the rock and what, what they can do to, differently to become that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I put I, I have labels for people as a starting place for conversation. I think that um, that you can be a combination of things, or you can be you're talking about you know siblings. You can be one thing to one kid and another to another to your other child. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so you really, again, like being mindful of yourself and how you are conducting yourself with your kids. Each individual kid um, is really important. Um, but I think one of the things, again, that surprised me a lot, um, I knew this, but I didn't quite know it as intensely as I, as I after, after listening to the boys, was the bro dad. Um, the dad who, yeah. in any group of boys, there seems to be stuck out of my mind as well. <laughs> yeah, there seems to be one da- dad who just is, tries too hard to be friends with the boys. And the way that he does that is really problematic. The way he does that is usually by trying to connect with them by, like, dirty jokes or making comments about the girls that the boys are hanging out with or sharing pornography, you know, so, you know, making kind of snide comments about women. And for the most part, the boys feel, are you know, they pretend to be nice to – I mean, they are nice to that dad – Right. But, are they um, snickering behind his back and they're like, oh, my God. No, yeah. Well, they're snickering behind their back. They also manipulate him. And right. because the boys get older, this is the guy that will buy alcohol for them. But and I think really it's, sad, like you said, I think it starts at that young age of like ex- exactly the word manipulation of saying like, oh, he's the pushover. He, we'll get him to take us to the game. We'll stay up late and he'll take us to do A, B, and C. And right, that's as you get later on in life, you're right, the alcohol is the, is where he becomes yeah. that, that dad to say, yeah. it's fine, Absolutely. guys, just do it in the basement. You know, I, right. I, 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 I trust you guys. And he's just right. trying to be that bro dad. Right. It's dangerous. Exactly. It's, and, do you, and I bet you, like, I wonder what those kids really think about those kinds of dads. Well, I mean, they really do feel sorry for the kid who's got this guy as a dad. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't stop them from manipulating this father and getting what they want out of him. So it's, you know, I think that's an important distinction. Um, But, you know, they are very friendly to him. But, you know, the dad, there's like, you know, the dad, the mom. I also find the bro Mm -hmm. dad, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I always, and I'm I'm thinking, you know, of different people in our lives. And I, I think of that dad also as someone who maybe was insecure himself as a child and is trying to live vicariously through um, their child's life now and maybe they aren't they didn't grow up the way they did and they're not what weren't in that social circle so they're trying so hard to almost fit in now or want yeah, their some, child some to fit in like yeah, I feel like sometimes dads want their children to fit in so badly to a social group so like let me be friends with these boys and let me do whatever take them to you know this game or yeah. that game to try to get them to befriend my child, and so I'll be your yeah. best friend so that you can be my child's best friend. And I, I, I find that to be a major issue because I think people see through it, maybe not initially because they're manipulating them or they're happy to be going along for the ride, but as you get later on in life, I, I'm sure those boys are like just they don't care anymore. They're just living their life, and they don't need that guy anymore in their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I – I, I, yeah, sure. I mean, I've seen that. I mean, I also see, you know, there's a what is the boys oftentimes don't tell the other fathers too about what's going on with a dad that will allow this kind of behavior because there's lots of dads who are who really don't agree with the way this dad is conducting himself. Um, but there's, I mean, but also there's a lot. There are some fathers who don't look insecure and, frankly, wouldn't score score being insecure in any kind of self confidence test. Who just truly believe that boys, some boys are entitled to behave this way and mm-hmm. they are go- and that they think the rules that are set up, that are set by the schools are stupid 
and that they are going to facilitate the boys being able to be boys outside of the rules of the school. And um, and they, they really are good at dismissing um, anybody who disagrees with that. And so it's not so it's not a sense of insecurity; it's a sense of entitlement, and that they are going to they're going to condone and support the boys doing these kinds of regressive bullying. Or I mean, I just saw something recently of the arrogance. I mean, the incredible arrogance. I had a boy who helped me, and he sent me something recently of this kid in a frat. And, he, and not obviously, I'm not condemning all frats. I've got a lot of boys who work with me on masterminds who are in frats, but they are writing mm-hmm. me a lot about what it's like to watch the rushing process as they've gone through this process with the book. But the issue of um but the issue of the arrogance of like I am the best and I'm unapologetic about being the best and if and mm-hmm. everyone around me has to be the best and if they won't say they're awesome and great too, then I don't want to hang out with them. I mean this vicious arrogance, um, mm-hmm. which is in many ways supported by some parents that really can get kids and all of us into a lot of trouble because those kids have no breaks on their behavior. They just don't. And so yeah. that's why they get themselves into these horrible situations where they really hurt other people. And I wonder why it's so supported by parents, just because you would think that parents are – I always say you're, you're being a parent not just to go through life, you know, not just to go through life with your children to make them good children, but it, really essentially – you're being a parent so that one day you can know that you are letting this child out into the real world and they're going to be an extremely high-functioning, wonderful adult. And so that the work that you're doing now as a parent when your child is younger is all of those steps that you're doing now is going to be what makes them that functioning adult. And I think that that's what so parents sometimes are missing in all of this parenting. Mhm. Well, I mean, I was talking to a parent on a on a radio show somewhere recently, and he said, "I he had four, five kids, and he said, well, I practice right speech. I'll never forget. He said, I practice right speech. My kids see me treat my wife respectfully, um, and like I don't need to let I don't need to talk to them. I don't need to, like they see what I do in my life, and that's what I do. I don't talk to them about relationships, but I'm talking about going to parties because they know what we stand for." I just feel so strongly from doing this work for so long that our children cannot be parented through soundbiting and through, like, these general kinds of comments about you should respect people and treat them as they should be respected, all that stuff, because they go to a party and things get very complicated and very confusing, and they cannot or do not usually apply the kinds of golden rule soundbites that we talk about to them as parents in this very complicated social dynamic. And and we don't want to know what is really going on because it's very, very scary. It's, it's hard to know what's really going on. And your kids don't have to tell you everything. Right. But do, as a parent, need to understand that you're a teenage child, that when you have a teen child, that if they are partying, if they are socializing at someone's house, that the and that they and if there is drinking, and the majority of, in my experience, of kids that I work with drink, um, not all do, but the majority do. And what would you say the age starts where they're drinking, especially boys? 14. 14. 14. Um, that it's, you know, that, that when that happens, that if they socialize at a party, that there's a couple of things that happen that make it just, that, that are just true. One is, is that they have grown up in an environment where taking pictures of people doing things that are humiliating and embarrassing is just a fact of life. That is what mm-hmm. people do. The second is is that adults have not talked to them specifically about situations about like what's important to them about relationships or about 
um, you know, when we talk to boys about sex, it's things like, you know, don't get her pregnant or, you know, you always have to respect her. But we, again, don't talk in concrete terms. So they can't apply it. And then the other part is, is that they've got girls who are also really struggling with these very complicated issues, and they're acting in crazy ways. And so it's all very confusing. And then you've also got the power dynamics between the boys, and that the boys who are going after the girls who have less power or need to prove themselves or be pleasing to a boy. Mm -hmm. those, the boys who are standing there watching it are literally conditioned to say nothing when it is happening in front of them. Right. Because it's uncool, and they will they won't be they won't have friends anymore otherwise. No, they literally don't know what to say. They literally you don't think they, oh you're saying they don't know what silent. to say. They literally do not know what to say, and they also are see. I would have thought it was because no they would be afraid they themselves then would be turned on by their friends. They w no, that's that's definitely part of it. It's definitely right. part of it. But the other but the other part is that is that it's all so normalized, it's so normalized that they just look at this and say, well, wait a minute, when did this become a situation that is so different from every other weekend that I've been doing this kind of stuff and nothing bad happened? So how am I supposed to figure out when something is running off the rails? Because it's very confusing. And when parents are not clued into this, to how confusing it is, then the boys are operating basically in a vacuum. And then one of the sound bites we say is, well, would you want this to happen to your sister? Well, right. no, but, like, how am I actually supposed to apply that? How does that work? Like, it doesn't – that's what we these, – these kinds of statements just don't give our kids the action steps to be able to make a situation better. So what do you say to the parents that are not the, the parents that are trying to be the cool – I'm trying to be a mm -hmm. cool parent. I, want, I don't want to mm – -hmm. I don't want to be my kid's – I want to be my kid's parent, not their friend. Right. What do you say to the sure. kids whose kid is – 14, 15, and now they're experimenting with drinking, or now they get a little older and they're experimenting with pot. Like, what, what sure. do you do? What's the proper punishment? And if you punish, are they going to hide it more and then not, now you don't know anything, and now their friends aren't coming over because you've punished them in a way where now they're afraid? I mean, what do you do mm -hmm. if you're a parent? Well, I mean, I'm talking to you from Boulder, Colorado, which is legalized. I mean, Colorado has legalized marijuana for the most part. Um, so it's, you know, we're also living in a very complicated time um, as far as alcohol and marijuana and yeah. kids, uh, you know, accessibility to those things. I mean, here's what I do with my kids. Uh, there's a couple of things. One is I think if you have any drug addiction or alcoholism in your family, I believe that it's important to talk about that with your children. So, Absolutely. And I have, because, you know, I do have that in my family, and I have talked to my children about that. Mm -hmm. And I have said to them, you know, you know, I don't know what your particular makeup is, what your particular chemistry is, but you have this on, in your family. And so mm -hmm. it is possible that your relationship to alcohol is going to be different. Like, you know, you might, as you grow up, you might have a friend who can drink more than you and be able to handle it more because of your family history. I don't know about that, but you need to be aware of that. The second thing that I say to them, um, and this, you know, in this case it's athletics, but it could be anything that your kids care d deeply about, is that, you know, I have said to my older kid in particular, if, you know, drinking and drugging, those kinds of things, that if you, you know, when you do those things and you are part of a group that is working hard towards something, that when you do something like that, you are letting down the group because you can't participate. You either can't participate as well, um, mm -hmm. or, you know, in the case of signing contracts where, where it says, like, I will not drink, that you are putting, you are a member of the team. Your responsibility to the team is to be a functioning member of that team. 
So if you are drinking or drugging and direct violation of what you have agreed to do, not only are you being, you're not a person of your word, but you also are literally letting down your responsibility to your teammates. So you don't deserve to be on the team if that's the case. Um, if you are invested in this, if this is important to you, then that's how you, you need to take this seriously. So what I try and do is take it away from, you know, no drinking, no drugging to the kinds of things of here's where you would not, where you would not be the person that you want to be. You'd be letting down people that you care about. And the other part that I always say to kids, high school kids, my kids, is that, and they know this, is that when you, they, you know, nobody likes to be out of control. So when I say to teenagers, and you know that when you do these things, that other people uh, start to become in control of you, start to be able to embarrass you, humiliate you, put you in compromising situations. So the result is, is that you are not in control. So I can't tell you not to drink. I can't tell you not to drug. But what I can tell you is something you already know, which is that when you do those things, you are literally giving power to other people. So you need to make the choice of what that means to you. And that in my experience with kids and with teenagers, excuse me, is a more compelling argument than your brain does not work well when you drink. Right. <laughs> right. 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 I mean, I am constantly trying to market these ideas to young people who very much feel like, well, I don't know, you know, I, I feel good. Right. Like, right. Some of this looks good to me. So that's the way that I try and market it to them. It's, I, I really actually, I really like that approach. And I think, as you know, as being a parent, it's, I have, a son who's not there yet. So he's 12 and I have a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old, but I have friends with a lot of older siblings and it's such a tough call. And I, I see parents that make the wrong choice where they're at social parties with kids that are very much underage that are like, oh, it's one drink, you know. And mm-hmm. I just, mm-hmm. and they're now sending this social message to their kids' friends and their kids' friends' parents mm-hmm. and such a mm-hmm. tough call. And now there's just... There's just there's it's a very tough thing to handle, especially because as parents we're like, well, we drank, and you know what is the age mm-hmm. now, and it's so dangerous, especially with social media, and just what, unfortunately today it's like kids can't make mistakes the way mm-hmm. they used to, mm-hmm. and one mm-hmm. wrong mistake can cost so much, and I think mm-hmm. that parents are so fearful of that today, that they are so afraid for their children to make mistakes that they are parenting differently because of it. I think they're Mm -hmm. parenting more fearfully and afraid that, you know, kids do make mistakes and teenagers Mm -hmm. make them all the time. And I think just parents are afraid that, that people won't be able to accept those mistakes. And it's very frightening. It's, it's, Definitely, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. definitely very frightening. But there, mm-hmm. I do believe that there are ways, like you said, to market certain things to your children and parent your children in a certain way. And, and we could go on forever and ever. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. we're starting to you know, have to wrap it up and we're getting out of time. And I, I, we could talk for hours and hours, especially about this book, which I encourage anyone listening to go and get. If you have a boy in your life, I, I think many parents – Grandparents, teachers, anyone with boys in their lives are just would there's such a wealth of knowledge in this book. So masterminds and wingmans, use it as a helpful tool to interact with the boys in your life. Thank you so 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 much, Rosalind, for being with us. My tonight. pleasure. Absolutely. You really you really helped us learn exactly just a lot more about parenting boys and what is going on in those in those boys' minds. It's 
it's just something I think we're always con- going to consider after listening tonight just a little bit more. And I, I, I really appreciate your insight. It was really, it was wonderful. Pleasure, pleasure to have you on My tonight's pleasure. show. You can check okay. Rosalind on her website and Facebook and Twitter. Um, and tonight's interview will be on The Coffee Clatch, www.thecoffeeclatch.com. Um, and my website, www.askstefanie.com, Ask Stephanie. You can tweet Rosalind and I any questions that you have. Um, and, again, wishing everyone a very, very happy holiday and happy and healthy new year. We have lots of great new interviews coming in 2014, and I, I predict big things for Masterminds and Wingmans in 2014. The book is awesome. Thank you. So congratulations to you, and I hope to uh, speak to you soon. We'll definitely connect. You are amazing. Thanks again. <laughs> Thanks. And good night.